going to be in Romans chapter 1 tonight. I'm very aware that this morning when Pastor Dan preached, the clock wasn't on the wall, but tonight when I'm preaching, it's there. So I get the hint, Miss Lisa, Brother Kenneth, whichever one, I get it. Romans chapter number 1. As you're turning, tonight we are going to look, as Brother Dan said, he challenged me as a pastor. Uh, I'm glad I have a pastor that challenges me. I'm glad I have a pastor that teaches me. I'm glad I have a pastor that lets me know when I'm right and lets me know when I'm wrong. Uh, that is the duty of a pastor. And he has challenged me, uh, or encouraged me rather, not really challenged, um, but encouraged me to learn how to wear this microphone because it is all over the place. Um, but to spend more time in the epistles and, and, and challenge me to pray about preaching from there. So tonight we're going to be in the book of Romans. Um, it is probably my favorite epistle to read through. I, and I, Miss Candy makes fun of me because I say that about every chapter, every book. I say it's my favorite. But uh, Romans <clears throat> is definitely a, a foundational book. Um, next to uh, the Gospels, it's probably one of the most foundational books in our New Testament. The book of Romans has been used by God to revive, restore, and remind the church uh, since its birth. Um, some scholars refer to this book as the Constitution of Christianity. And I know uh, there are many types of uh, different students, different schools in here, but um, in, in the public school system, the Constitution seems to be getting muffled and more and more and more and more. They don't really want the students to know what the Founding Fathers stood for. And once some of these young people get a hold of the copy of the Constitution and they realize how wise and God-inspired the men were, uh, that, that they wrote the Constitution. I'm not saying the Constitution is a God-inspired document, but the God-fearing men wrote our country's Constitution, and, uh, and, and they knew that they were going to be protecting against some things. The book of Romans is much the same, as the truths that Paul outlines in the book of Romans are so foundational, so constitutional to our faith. Paul wrote this letter to the believers in Rome uh, who made up the church there in Rome. And we have to understand Rome was the capital city of the Roman Empire. It was uh, the hub of the entire known world at this time. At the, uh, at the pinnacle of its height, it was the hub for all technology of the time, all philosophy of the time, all political power of the time. Uh, there was a saying that all roads led to Rome. And that was not uh, hyperbole. Literally, Romans were making the roads and Romans were paving the way. Uh, and, and literally every road uh, could be tied to Rome in some way. And we have a group of believers there, which is miraculous in and of itself, because nowhere in the New Testament epistles do we have recorded a missionary going directly to Rome. We don't know of a specific one of the apostles or a specific preacher specifically called to go to the Roman city and preach the gospel and plant a church there, or start a church there. But we do know Paul, and we know he starts this epistle. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated into the gospel of God. We know he's the writer of this gospel, so we know in some way he has a, an emotional tie or a responsibility tied to this church. J. Vernon McGee credits Paul for founding this church as a long-distance founding of the church. In other words, Paul didn't directly go to the place of, of Rome uh, until after he wrote this epistle as a prisoner, uh, but he had relationships and friendships with people named Aquila and Priscilla. Some of you remember them from the book of Acts. He stayed with them. And Aquila and Priscilla, as he stayed with them in Corinth, they were fleeing persecution in Rome. Rome was their home.
home. So it's theorized that through Aquila and Priscilla and other folks that Paul preached to and other folks that Paul witnessed to, they went back to Rome and they began to share the good news of the gospel. And before you know it, as the gospel always does, it produces a local New Testament church there in the city of Rome. And Paul writes to them, uh, and it was even more miraculous because it was made primarily of Gentiles, people that would have been saved out of Roman paganism, Roman philosophies. These, these were not people of a Jewish background that had a foundational understanding of Jehovah, had a foundational understanding of the law. These would have been people that would have been brought up to uh, literally in the, in the pits of idolatry that would have had little pagan idols and little pagan statues and worship gods of nature and worship gods of this and gods of that. So for them to all of a sudden come into a monotheistic religion, come into a monotheistic faith of there is one true God, only one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ, is a miracle in itself. And as they begin to find this church, Paul writes this letter, and he begins to lay out some things. And I wish to God we could go through the whole book tonight, uh, but then there wouldn't be time to go to the Mexican place tonight, and there'd be a lot of people mad at me. So we're going to look at one verse tonight. Stan, when you found Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. It's a verse many of you have heard many times over. Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you for the preacher, Paul. But God, thank you most of all for your darling son, Jesus Christ, who made it possible for them in Rome, who makes it possible for us today to have liberty, to have salvation, to have the freedom to praise your holy name for all that you've done for us and will do for us. God, I ask that you be with me in the service. Get me out of your way. Speak to this thy people. Be a blessing to this thy people in only ways you know how. God, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So Paul obviously felt obligated to guide them uh, as we have this letter tonight. We are going to take a look at the first words of encouragement he gets to them. He begins in number eight, and I'm going to go fast, but just follow along with me. Begins after he greets and to make sure they understand who's writing the letter. In verse number eight, he says, First, I thank God, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout all the whole world. So he's not writing to a bunch of sissy Christians, okay? He's, he's writing to a, a church there in Rome that was severely persecuted and their faith was spoken of throughout all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, yet without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul's saying, I see your faith, but I see your sincerity. I, make, I pray for you. I understand what it's like to be a Christian there in Rome. I understand how much how hard this must be. I understand how much dedication it must take. Verse number 10, making requests, if by any means, now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come into you. He said, as a matter of fact, if it be God's will, I want to come to where you are. I want to come to your church. I want to come meet in your homes. I want to come share what I know and hear what you've heard and hear what the Jesus is doing there in Rome. Verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift that the end you may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you. You said, I, there's been many times that I've tried to come, but was led hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks 
and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. You can imagine these Roman believers as they would have been holding on to every word of this letter, wanting to know what the apostle Paul, what the one who is preaching to Gentiles all over uh, the world of Asia Minor at that time, what did he have to say to us? If he wrote us a letter, if he wrote Anchor of Hope a letter, we would be hanging on every word as Pastor Dan got up and began to read the words that were written to Anchor of Hope Baptist Church, we would be longing to hear. And the first thing Paul wants them to understand, and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because you see, they, they would have come from a place of paganism, of polytheism, of worshiping all these little G gods, but he wanted to understand them to understand what has happened to you, what you've experienced, the reason you are now part of the family of God, the reason you are now wanting to know more about Jesus, the reason you've surrendered your life to him, the reason you've been able to do this is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you as Paul, I am not ashamed of it and you shouldn't be either. They did not have a foundational upbringing. They did not have an understanding of the law for the most part. We know people like Aquila and Priscilla who were Jews were in this church. But for the most part, they were mainly made up of Gentiles. So they would have had no understanding of Jehovah. They wouldn't have had the promises of the Messiah in the Old Testament. They would not have had all the stories of all that God can do. It would have taken so much more faith for these Roman Christians because they didn't hear about what he did at the Red Sea. They didn't hear what he did out in the wilderness. They didn't hear what he did, uh, all the miracles after miracles after miracles. They didn't hear about Elijah calling down fire from heaven and, and killing those pro false prophets of Baal. They had the faith that could move mountains. Why? Because they didn't know anything. They just knew Jesus. And he says, the gospel is what I want you to focus on because that's what's got you this far. Number one, by introduction, the origin of the gospel. The origin of the gospel. When the Roman Empire when the Roman emperor would have made a decree to the citizens of the Roman Empire, the first citizens that would have heard about it would have been the ones in Rome. That's where the emperor would have spent the majority of his time. So they worshiped the Roman emperor there in Rome as a god, as a demi-god, as somebody that was part man, but it was ordained by God to be the emperor of Rome. And what he said would have had power, it would have had authority. Disobeying the decree of the Roman emperor would have come to a, uh, an, a, an early death. Um, so they would have understand, understood what it means for a king to give a decree. But Paul here, he makes it very clear. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You see, the Roman emperor's message was only made important because of who said it. It was only important because of who sent the decree. If, the, if they woke up and they saw an ad in the newspaper and it said, today everybody needs to eat a grilled cheese sandwich because some guy named Bryce Williams said that they should do it, they probably wouldn't eat a grilled cheese sandwich that day. But if they got up the next morning and saw in their newspaper that everybody needed to eat a grilled cheese sandwich because Caesar said that they needed to eat a grilled cheese sandwich, there wouldn't be any bread left in the stores, there wouldn't be any cheese left in the stores, everybody's uh, pans would have had grilled cheeses cooking on them all day long. Why? Because of the person the message came from. 
Paul wanted to make sure that they understood that this was not the gospel of Paul. This was not the gospel of Peter. This was not the gospel of James or John. This was the gospel of Christ. This was the, the origin of the gospel came from God himself, came from God the Son, came from God the Father, and came from God the Holy Spirit. This was the message. The only thing that made that message important was that it wasn't another philosophy. It wasn't another thing to get excited about in emotionalism or paganism. It was a message directly from the King of Kings, a message directly from the Lord of Lords that you can be saved by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the origin of the gospel. It came from Christ. Number two, the operation of the gospel. The operation of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power, the power of God. How does the gospel operate? In power. We do not have a weak gospel. We do not have a limp-wristed gospel. We do not have a skinny jean-wearing gospel. Praise the Lord. We do not have a flip-flop-wearing gospel. We have a gospel that is powerful. Y'all will pick on me. I may wear flip-flops when I go fishing, but the gospel ain't got nothing flip-flop about it. It has power to change. It has power to save. As he's writing to this church of Rome, they would have understood what power meant. They would have understood as Roman citizens, as people saved, that the Roman Empire was the most powerful military force that the world has ever known. They kept their land. They kept their conquerings by their great power, by their great military, by their great might. Yet Paul writes to them, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power that you're looking for. It's the power that's greater than anything Caesar can drum up or imagine. You see, you may have, he may have power in this life. He may have a little influence over this life, but God has all power. We've got to move tonight. The operation of the gospel, the outcome of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel has one purpose, and that is to save the souls of men like you and like me. The power of God unto salvation. This isn't just to create a big following for Paul. This isn't just to create another empire to rival the Roman Empire. This isn't just to help the Republicans conquer the Democrats. This isn't just to help the Democrats conquer the Republicans. This isn't just to help this side conquer that side. This is to help the souls of men spend eternity in heaven to conquer sin, death, death, Heth, death, hell, and the grave, and go to with, spend eternity with Jesus forever. The only purpose of this message that's from the king, the reason it's so powerful is because it's the only thing that can deliver you from your sin-filled estate and take you on to glory to spend eternity with him forever. The outcome of the gospel is salvation and the outreach of the gospel. To the Jew first, look at what he says. Praise the Lord for that comma and that word and. And also to the Greek. He's saying that this, Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not. So the gospel is a message from the king. It is a message that has all power. It is a message that produces salvation. But thanks be unto God that when the Jews said no, that message was extended not to the Jew only, but to the Greek as well. He's saying, believers there in Rome, this is especially important for you because you didn't grow up knowing about Jehovah. You didn't know knowing about Adonai. You didn't know grow up knowing about El Shaddai. You didn't know up no growing up about any of those things, but it's for you too. And it's for you too. And it's for me too. That comma and that and there speaks to us today because unless you're of Jewish descent in here, you would have had otherwise no chance to receive the gospel unless it was extended to the Gentiles also. So praise the Lord for that. The outreach for the gospel, it's for everyone. The verse I read this morning from Revelation, it said, 
that in the, in the last times we would stand around the throne and there would be people from every race and every color and every tribe and they would all be there. The gospel is for everyone. So we understand the gospel tonight as its message, as it's the good news that Jesus died for you and for me. But Paul says something special here. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So as they would have read those words, I may be inserting something here. They wanted to probably emulate what they were reading, just like you and me. We know the Bible tells us that it's a glass, it's a mirror, it's something that we're supposed to read into and apply it to our behavior. So as they would have read those words from Paul and he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's probably a young Bryce or a young Chase or a not young Pastor Dan sitting there reading that letter and saying, I want to be unashamed of the gospel of Christ too. I want to live unashamed. I want to be somebody that God can use. I want to be somebody that can live this out in a way that shows Christ to the world. So tonight we're going to look at why we should be unashamed. I am not ashamed. We have to define gospel. We've looked at the origin of the gospel. We've looked at the operation of the gospel. We've looked at the outcome of the gospel. We've looked at the uh, outreach of the gospel. But you may already know this. You should already know this. Paul defined the gospel for us over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can turn there if you want to. Otherwise, I'm going to read it. Chapter 15, verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which ye also are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So we know Paul defines the gospel as the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does that look like to apply? Because I know I'm preaching to home folks tonight. I'm preaching to those who are sit sitting there in their pews and they're saying, Pastor Bryce, I'm saved. I believe the gospel. I remember the time and the place. I hope you can sit there and you can remember the time and the place where you believe the glorious gospel, where you confessed your sins for salvation, and <clears throat> God saved you gloriously in that moment. But it's a different thing to live unashamed of the gospel. To live unashamed of the gospel. So if the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what does this look like? Living unashamed of his death because of our sin. Because of our sin. I have a sermon that I preach at the rescue mission and to the teenagers. And the title of it is called Killing Jesus. Killing Jesus. And I'm not going to preach that whole sermon tonight. Some of y'all just took a big, long, deep breath. Um, but if I could summarize Rome thought they could kill him. Satan thought they could kill him, thought he could kill him. The Jews thought they had killed him. The world that we live in today in 2023 thinks that they've killed Jesus. They've kicked him out of the classroom. They've kicked him out of the courtroom. They've kicked him out of the living room, our homes. They've kicked him out of the bedroom, our marriages. They think that they've killed Jesus. And a lot of us tonight, we like to get on our Pharisaical platforms and we like to blame Rome. We like to blame <coughs> uh, this one or that one. We like to blame the courtrooms. We like to blame the politicians. We like to blame all these people for killing Jesus, for hurting Jesus, for attacking Jesus. But the truth is, if we all understand that Jesus said, no man taketh my life, but I lay it down 
freely. Why? Because of your sin, because of my sin. The only ones guilty of killing Jesus Christ are the ones seated in these pews and preaching before you tonight. I killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. He died not just for our sins because he loved us, but because of our sins as a propitiation for our sins. Living unashamed, realize that you're unashamed of his death was because of you, was because of your actions. I've often heard in, in an invitation moment a pastor say, if you were the only person in the whole wide world, Jesus would die just for you. But it is also true that if you were the only person in the whole wide world, you would be a sinner and Jesus would have to die just for you. A lot of times we get saved. We understand the gospel. We believe the gospel. But along the way, we forget why we needed the gospel. We are nobodies in the eyes of a holy and righteous God. Our pastor thankfully teaches us how our greatest righteousness is as filthy rags. And living unashamed of the gospel means you live like a sinner that has been saved by grace. Only knowing where you found forgiveness. Only knowing what made the difference in your life? It wasn't good deeds or works of righteousness with you ha that you have done. It was all Jesus. If we start living unashamed that it was our sins that placed him on the cross of Calvary, that it was our sins that caused him have to die, there's going to be a different love inside of us. There's going to be a different compassion inside of us. There's going to be a different application in our walk where we understand we're not better than anybody. We're not better than our manager. We're not better than our employee. We're not better than our husband. We're not better than our wife. We haven't got... Do you live in such a way that shows that you know where you stand before a holy and righteous? God and know that you're just a sinner saved by grace. This is what living unashamed looks like, that you knew his death was because of your sin. To believe the gospel is to believe that he died for you and because of you, and he chose to. Number two, live unashamed of his burial because of our sanctification. He buried our sin. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Just as Jesus Christ was buried, so is our past, so is our sin, so is our shame. It is gone. It's, an, it's one thing to understand that your sin was what caused Christ to have to die on the cross for you. But it's another thing to not understand that once he saves you, once he forgives you, those sins are gone. They are cast as far as the east is from the west. Have you ever met somebody that carries that old body around with them? You know who I'm talking about. The ones that they say, oh, I can't be used of God. I can't do this. I can't do this. You just don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know all the experiences I've had. Oh, I'm just a wicked person. There's another extreme you can go to where you just feel like you're so downtrodden. You're so wicked. You're so abused. You've been beat up. You've been shamed. You've been scorned. And there's nothing you could possibly do. And you carry that shame and you carry that sin when it's under the blood. Paul's saying, I'm unashamed of the gospel. I'm unashamed of the death of Jesus Christ. But I'm unashamed of the burial of Jesus Christ. He died and he went to that grave and he took sin with it. He nailed it to the cross. He got it under the blood. You don't have to carry that around anymore. And how many of you know that old dead flesh, that old dead body tries to come up every single day, doesn't it? It tries to rise up every single day and say, I'm back. We now have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside us 
to resist and to crush that old man in Jesus' name. Many scholars agree while in the grave, that's when Jesus led captivity captive. And he took the souls from Abraham's bosom and he took them up to the heavens. And that's where he started heaven that he's creating for you and me, that he's building for you and me. His burial, living unashamed of his burial, is understanding this world is not our home. That we don't have to try to make it in this world. That we don't have to try to create a name for ourselves in this world. We have to create a testimony for him in this world. Because he's taken us home. Lastly, live unashamed because of his resurrection. Miss Joy, Brother Harold, y'all come. Live unashamed because of his resurrection. I'm unashamed of the gospel. I'm unashamed of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. I'm unashamed of the resurrection because of our security. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. They're going to sing the song. Living unashamed means just that. He's alive, so you should be too. Be alive to your wife. Be alive to your kids. Be alive to your grandkids. Tell them about that blessed hope. Tell them that he's alive. Live like he's alive. Walk with him. Talk with him. Live unashamed that he's alive and you will be too. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the book of Romans. God, thank you so much for this one verse. I am unashamed. God, I pray that we not just be hearers of the word, but doers this week. God, help us to live unashamed. Help us to live unashamed that he had to die for people like me. Help us to live unashamed that he was buried and that he went to prepare a place for me so that this world is not my home. Help me to live unashamed that he's alive and so can I. God, I pray that you move in this invitation as only you know how. I ask these things in Jesus' name.